When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impact Theory. I am going to be talking to you today all about the power of thought. This is one of the most important topics. I don't care what anybody tells you. If you get your mind right, if you get your thoughts under control, you can change the trajectory of your life. You can literally change every aspect of your life, whether you want to believe it or not, you are living in a simulation. It's just that that simulation is happening between your ears. And one of the core concepts of my life is the fact that your brain is housed in a vat. Light never touches your brain. Think about that. Sound never touches your brain. You get these electrical chemical signals that are translated by your brain into all this stuff that you think of as being the real world out there around you. But in reality, it is all happening inside your mind. It was the neuroscientist David Eagleman that first got me thinking about that. And it is such a powerful idea to realize that everything that you think of as the real world is really a simulation being run by your brain. Now, once you realize that you are living in a simulation that's controlled by your brain, and the way that it influences you is through your subconscious and your conscious mind. You begin to realize that you've got to take control of the conscious part, and they both influence each other. So getting a hold of your conscious mind is going to have profound implications in terms of your emotional well-being, in terms of the feelings that you have uh, that are coming from your body. So it is this incredible two-way street of your body reporting to the mind, the mind reporting to the body, the mind running all of these predictive um, simulations essentially about what the future is going to look like. Your brain is this extraordinary predictive machine and taking control of that process, realizing that you can take control of that process is arguably the most important decision that any human being will ever make. So the power of thought, what is it? It's everything. All right. Question number one. What role does the subconscious mind play in our thinking process for making decisions? All right, read Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How Emotions Are Made. Understanding that two-way street that I was talking about between the mind and the body is extraordinarily powerful because it is how you're gonna get out of this death loop of whether it's background, what I call background radiation of anxiety, whether it's even something as profound as depression, Ultimately, you have to retrain your body. And this is one of the reasons that psychedelics are proving to be such a profound tool in the fight against intractable depression and anxiety is you're causing this total disruption of the way that you relive the event. Now, once you take a memory out of storage in your brain and you're sort of holding it in working memory, so you're reliving this thing, you're reassigning emotion to that before you restore it. Now that emotion is that two-way street between the body. So the way that emotions are made is your body will give you a sensation that's based on historical um, interactions. So I remember one time as a kid, I was 
um, playing out in front of a house. I was actually drinking out of a hose and I heard the roar of a car engine, the squeal of tires, and then pow, the car hit a gigantic tree about 20 feet from me. And had the tree not been there, it would have killed me. It was crazy. It would have smashed into the house. It was nuts. And for two decades after that, the sound of a racing car engine would make my heart speed up. It was crazy the way that I had formed this association of danger with that sound. And the person ended up getting like absolutely battered in the car accident. So of course that was part of the trauma. They're stumbling out of the car, bleeding profusely. It was madness. And that got fused with this heightened physiological response. So now I would hear a car engine rev, right? Subconsciously, I now have this fight or flight moment of something that actually doesn't have any sort of real world tie to danger. But because of that one experience, now my subconscious had been hijacked and it kept feeding me this signal that I was in danger whenever I heard that sound. And so understanding at the biological level, what's going on, that your brain goes, whoa, I'm getting this sensation. There must be a reason. And that is one of the most important ideas in my life is that the brain will justify whatever emotion you have. So if you think negative thoughts about yourself, that begins to wire in at the body level. So when you think about speaking up in front of somebody, when you think about um, you know, taking a risk at your job or whatever, putting yourself on the line, and you have these negative thoughts, the mirror about yourself, the mere thought of stepping out in front of people triggers that subconscious feeling that you're not worthy, you're not good enough, whatever, and it makes you want to retreat into yourself. Now, when you understand that that's actually a process that you can insert yourself into, you can take control of the subconscious sensations being sent by your body by telling yourself a new narrative about yourself and that over time it actually will begin to wire itself at a body level because the brain will justify whatever reaction you feed it. So if you get hyped up and like, hey, I'm a learner, man, I can get good at this no matter what, you put me in front of people, I'm gonna be able to figure this out. If that's the story that you repeat and you say it to other people and you do it with energy and enthusiasm, then the brain goes, oh, okay, cool, I get it, we're excited about this doing this thing, getting out in front of people, we're going to learn this is a moment of excitement for us. It takes time, but you really can shift the subconscious signal that your body sends you by rehearsing it at a heightened level of excitement. This is where I get really obsessed with this idea that we're all having a biological experience. And once you realize you're having a biological experience, and you can take control of some of those biological processes, you can get a tremendously improved outcome. All right, so don't let your negative thoughts run away with you. Don't let them dictate your life because they will feed your subconscious and your subconscious ultimately is what feeds that sensation. And they say that the subconscious mind can process data faster and vaster, meaning much more information, much faster. But the subconscious mind speaks in the language of emotion. And we just talked about how those emotions are formed and they become a part of your everyday life. So you need to insert yourself so you can change that process. All right, question number two. How do you go about bringing the vision in your mind and making that into a reality? All right, here is an idea that I want you guys to get obsessed with. You become what you repeat. Let me repeat that. 
You become what you repeat. Now, if you become what you repeat and the thing that you repeat in your own head is what a loser you are, that things never go your way, that the world is against you, that you're hard done by, that you're just not talented like other people, that things weren't meant for you. If that's what you're repeating in your head, that is what is going to become your reality. Because if you predict it, right? Nothing ever works out for me. I'm a loser. I always screw things up, okay? Your, your brain is a predictive machine. We talked about that before. So your brain is predicting. You're telling yourself on a loop that this never works out for me. I always screw things up. I'm too stupid, whatever. Your brain then is going to expect to see that. And then basically, no matter what happens, your brain is going to find a way to conform that to the narrative that you tell yourself. Okay, and we've all seen people do this where we're there in a room with them and we see things, whoa, things are like really working out for them. This is going great. And then when they retell the story, they only focus on the negative parts. And it's like, whoa, were we in the same room? Because what I saw was 80% good, sure, 20% bad, but it was 80% good. And all that person repeats is the 20% that was bad. And because that's their habit, that was all they saw when they looked at that event. And so really, understanding the necessity of grabbing a hold of that process of recognizing whatever you allow yourself to repeat is going to be the thing that you see it is going to become the bedrock of your life so if you're repeating i'm a learner i can figure this out there's nothing that you can put on me that on a long enough timeline i can't figure out these are the things i tell myself by the way so if you're ever wondering what it's like to be inside my head it starts with a negative thought i refuse to allow myself to repeat that I do what's called a pattern interrupt. So as soon as I say, oh man, I'm too dumb. I'm never going to figure this out. I pattern interrupt. No, you're the learner. Do not allow yourself to repeat that you're dumb and that you can't figure this out. You're the learner. Anything that anybody brings you, you can figure out. Going back to the previous question, I say it with enthusiasm. I'm telling other people, I get myself hyped up. I smile, I get energetic. Now my brain goes, whoa, the body's like getting really amped up about this. The amplitude of reaction will get justified by my brain. And now, because I'm repeating it, that I can learn anything on a long enough timeline, I can be anyone at anything, human potential is nearly limitless, the average person is the ultimate adaptation machine, therefore, I am the ultimate adaptation machine, I can get good at anything with discipline practice, and I'm saying that, I'm saying it in this heightened emotional way, now all of a sudden, my brain is justifying that, whoa, we really must be a learner. And this really must be a good thing because we're saying it with all this excitement. And so now by repeating that, by doing that on a loop, by having that running 40, 50 times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, I now get an innate emotional response to challenge that's positive. And that puts me in this positive loop of where I don't encounter a challenge and want to stop or want to back off or feel badly about myself or think about all the times where I screwed it up. I encounter that challenge. I've repeated so many times that I can figure this out and I've celebrated my wins so obsessively. And when I do something and 20% goes wrong and 80% goes right, I'm spending all my time with the things that went right. I learned from the things that went wrong, but I'm repeating about the things that went wrong that I can figure this out. I can learn it. I can get better. And then on the 80%, I'm celebrating it to really lock it in. And so that repetition is exactly how you make it stick. All right, next up. 
how to find difference, how to find the difference between digging deep and overthinking. Like, how to identify overthinking and stop doing it because you need to think to analyze, but if you overthink, you don't get a solution. All right, so thinking is super important and overthinking is a catastrophic waste of time. Now, I have rules in my life. And this is all a part of how I get control of my subconscious mind, how I get control of the things that I repeat, how I'm making sure that I'm making the most of my time. And what I am obsessed with is how just how the human mind works. So not judging it, not saying, oh, I wish it would be different, though there are many things that I do wish would be different. I focus entirely on recognizing the truth of the way the human mind works. And the way that the human mind works is that if you don't take action, you will never get the full benefit of the way that experience, action has this magnification effect of the lesson. It's what I call the whiteboard effect. When I was in high school and I was in math class, the teacher would explain something, I would think I had it, and I would go home and I would realize, whoa, I actually don't know how this works. The times where they forced me to go up to the whiteboard, even though I didn't want to do it, and I had to actually do the problem. I had to take action. I had to go through it. Then I realized where my sense that I understood something met the reality of I actually don't know this. And it forced me to work through it. That is life. There are things you can try to think your way through, and thinking is very valuable, but it needs to be done in conjunction with action. So you're not thinking in a vacuum, you're thinking back on the action you took. So to give you an idea, I recently had a big initiative here at Impact Theory, which is NFTs. And I didn't know anything about it. And I went from hearing the letters NFT put together in that order for the first time. And 48 to 72 hours later, we had launched a major initiative. And, and I'm talking multiple millions of dollars initiative. And the team was panicking a little because we were moving so quickly. But what I wanted them to understand is I'll never be able to think my way to understanding this. I can always back out of the initiative and not end up spending all the money that we you know, had earmarked for it. But to really understand that this is real, I have to go down that path. And uh, Marie Forleo has a tremendous example about this, so powerful about dance class. And she was like, oh, you know, I'm 25. Could I ever be a dancer? I don't know. And she spent like a year like hemming and hawing. And then she said she went and took a single dance class. And 20 minutes into the dance class, she knew whether she was late to the party or not, she wanted to dedicate her life to dance. And that 20 minutes in a dance class had her in tears. And she was just like, it was a transformational moment for her. And 20 minutes did what a year could not do. And so when you force yourself to take action, which is the rule that I have in my life, that I know action cures all. You're never going to be able to think your way to the right solution. Do a little bit of thinking, do enough to have a general direction of which way you want to go, and then take action. I cannot tell you how many problems that is going to solve for you in your life. Take action. Take action. Action cures all. Going back to that idea of repetition, right? So that's one of those ideas you should get very obsessed with. Go out, take action. You will be shocked at how rapidly um, you will get past whatever death loop you've been in around overthinking. Now, you're going to take action.
You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. And then think. 
take more action and then think, take more action and think. So as I go, I'm constantly researching. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly reflecting on what I do, but I'm always doing. And if you do that, it will transform your life. Next. Why is it so much easier to manifest bad thoughts than positive thoughts? All right. So going back to the idea, you're having a biological experience. The brain works a certain way. Okay. We are not all blank slates. Science seems to peg it roughly at 50, 50, 50% 50 of who you are is born. It is the human brain and the human brain has evolved over millions of years of evolution. It is designed to do one thing. And that one thing is to keep you alive long enough to have children that have children. Okay. That's what the brain is trying to do. And once you understand that the brain does not really care how you feel any more than it gets you to take the right actions, right? It wants you to do things to keep you safe, fed, and it wants to make sure that you're procreating. Now, you can begin to see a lot of sort of human dynamics once you understand that that is what the brain is designed to do. So the brain is not designed to make sure that you run your own company or that you come out wealthy. The brain is not designed to make sure that you love every moment of your life. The brain is designed to keep you alive. Now, to keep you alive, it's got to make you pay attention to the negative stuff. So one of my favorite examples of how the brain is wired for danger and risk perception. So think about if you've ever seen a garden hose out of the corner of your eye and jumped only to realize, oh man, that's just a garden hose. It's not a snake. Now, the reason that the brain is wired like that is you are way better off thinking that a hose is a snake than you are to think that a snake is a hose. If you think that the snake is a garden hose and you uh, don't react and don't get out of the way and the snake bites you, you die. But if you think that the garden hose is a snake and you jump out of the way, then the only problem is a little bit of embarrassment. And so that is the thing that plays out when you think about why your brain is constantly going to negative thoughts, because it is far better to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. this is dangerous. You're not smart enough for this. Just chill, take a back seat. Because in a world, which we don't live in anymore, but you know, over the eons of evolution, to get ostracized from a group was essentially certain death. And so your brain wanted to make sure that you didn't do anything that was going to get you ostracized from the group. So the brain in many ways is, is unafraid is probably the right way to think about it. It is unafraid to keep you small. It is unafraid to warn you. It's not that it, if it sees that you're doing well and that you're crushing it, then it's going to lift you up as well. So there is that flip side of the coin, but that can be a very dangerous game. So there's always this hedge. So to me, and this is just sort of ballparking it, gut instinct, it seems to be somewhere like five to seven times more impactful on the negative side. So for you, like social comments, right, is a really easy way to think of it. For it to balance out, you would need to get roughly seven times the number of positive comments to the negative comments to still walk away from that feeling good. And that is just the brain sussing out danger, the brain trying to figure out um, how to keep you safe and understanding that, that that's the driver. Then you get into the territory that I think is incredibly powerful of realizing you don't have to believe everything you think and you really don't have to believe everything you feel. And inserting yourself into both the conscious and subconscious dialogue 
that your brain and body are having is critically important to maintaining your mental health. Because as your brain, in a world where we're hyper-connected and there is constantly the, the quote-unquote risk from an evolutionary perspective of being ostracized, of having the group turn on you, saying something stupid, having people attack you, um, your brain is constantly like danger signal, danger signal. And you get a signal as if it is physical danger. So somebody saying something negative about you actually hurts. It triggers pain receptors in your brain and registers as actual danger. And so inserting yourself into that, realize that it actually isn't danger and recognizing that the brain has a bias towards negativity that is just trying to keep you safe. You can begin to navigate that. You can either say, you know, thank you brain for trying to keep me safe, but in reality, this is not some big dramatic thing. And so I'm going to be perfectly fine. Um, or you can just use it as a habit loop trigger of every time your brain tries to get you to focus on the negative, you remind yourself to consciously take control of that and focus on the positive. Just all of that boils down to the key of understanding that that is the brain's nature. That is what the brain does. This is not a failing of you. This does not mean that you're a bad person or that you have a defective brain. It simply means this is the nature of the human brain. And it gives you that in of being able to take some conscious control. So just make sure that you actually exert that. All right. Okay. On the one hand, I feel I have to immerse myself in creative thinking, and that takes time to get into a flow state. On the other hand, I feel meditation and clearing my mind is helpful. How do you manage these two states of mind? I feel that the calm meditation somehow blocks the creative immersive flow. Thanks. Okay, so this is going back into that idea of thinking versus doing. Meditation is extraordinarily powerful, but there is a reason. And I, in fact, let me back up and say, not only is it powerful, but it saved my life is a little dramatic, but it's really close to being true. And so I spend about 20 minutes a day meditating and I spend the rest of my day going hard, building things, trying to get into the flow state. Now, the reason that that time balance exists is that's what I find um, is useful. So the reason I'm meditating, I want to get rid of background radiation, anxiety, fear, um, stress, overwhelm. Okay. I want to get rid of all of that, which I do by breathing from my diaphragm. It's what I call a physiological hook into the mind. So it's a, it's a seesaw, meaning when one side goes down, the other goes up. And if you think about the two antagonistic forces of the seesaw being the sympathetic nervous system known as fight or flight and the parasympathetic nervous system known as rest and digest, and only one can be up at a time. So as the sympathetic nervous system goes up and you slide into fight or flight, you are no longer calm. As the reverse happens and the parasympathetic um, nervous system goes up, then the sympathetic nervous system goes down and you are calm and you can't be both calm and anxious at the same time. Now, the reason I refer to breathing from the diaphragm as a physiological hook is that by breathing from the diaphragm, even if you don't want to, you will slide into a parasympathetic response. So you will force the parasympathetic nervous system up, rest and digest, and the sympathetic nervous system down. That's why it's incredibly important to learn how to effectively breathe from your diaphragm. There are a ton of YouTube videos out there. Um, it is very easy. You're breathing from your belly. That's basically the punchline. Um, it is relatively easy to do. 
Um, and like I said, you can, if you search Mark Divine box breathing, that's the person that introduced me to it. Um, you will learn how to breathe from your diaphragm. You will learn how to do a very simple version of meditation and you can get all the benefits. Now, having said all of that, by doing that, I get into a calm, creative state, but then that calm, creative state gives me the insights that I need to then go and work on something. So I want to spend my time being productive. Meditation for me is about learning to very quickly get rid of background radiation. And if I find during the day it's going up, I'll sit and meditate in the middle of the day, whatever. Like you're going to operate so much more effectively once you're in that calm and creative state than you will if that background radiation is going up. And I think that you will find that while if all you do is meditate, you'll never get into the sort of performance aspect of flow. But if you don't meditate, you won't be able to achieve flow because you have that anxiety. You have those fears. You're stuck in your head. You know, all these ideas are sort of crashing on you at once. It can be very overwhelming. Meditation allows us to clear that and to actually perform at our best. So to me, the only sort of worry is you want to make sure that you're spending time actually executing, but you want to have done the prep work first. So um, there is such a thing as not getting the result that you want from meditating. If you're letting your mind wander, you're not consistently breathing from your diaphragm. So don't panic if in the beginning meditation isn't working as well as you would like. Um, that is definitely something that you can get better at just by doing it every day, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and I think the more you do it, the faster you will find yourself being able to slide into that. But the two aren't um, antagonistic to each other other than at a time allocation um, standpoint. So don't be afraid. I start my days with meditation. I find that sets me up well. But like I said, if I'm struggling and for whatever reason, um, stress is creeping in, anxiety is creeping in, then I'll sit down and, and meditate again because functioning optimally for a shorter period of time is far more useful than functioning subpar for a longer period of time, which is also why you should get sleep. But that's how I see it. All right, next up. What is your thought process behind when you do your research? I'm amazed how you are always prepared. How in all caps, do you do it? What's the process? I completely suck at this. Okay, so honestly, my process is extraordinarily simple. Now, the way that I think about it, sort of the, the at a conceptual level, is that we are synthesizing machines. And the more information we take in, the more unique ideas we're likely to have. So our unique mind, our unique experience is going to interact, you know, in, in the case of researching a person, is going to interact with all the things that I learn about that person. And it's going to interact in a unique way. So I'm going to come up with unique questions. There's going to be a unique part of their story that I'm attracted to. And so my process is, my thought process is twofold. One, I want to get in as much data as I can. So I want to read their book. I want to watch a bunch of videos that they've done, all the interviews that I can get my hands on so that I'm interacting with a lot of things. And then the second part is that I want to follow my unique reactions. So when I'm hearing somebody do an interview and you know the interviewer asks them a question and they give an answer and they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's funny. That makes me think of my dog and the time that they died on my bed. And then they just move on to the other part of the question and nobody follows up. The, the guy is obviously 
saying like the dog dying on his bed, like really had made an impact. I want to know about that. Like, how is that played in? Why mention that in this arena? Like now I'm super curious. And I found by loading myself with information, letting my mind sort of bounce around on that thing, and then being totally unafraid to chase the things I find are interesting. So maybe nobody else asked them about that, but I find it interesting. And so I'm going to pursue that. That like, so obviously I've been doing that for years now, but in the very, very, very beginning when it was called Inside Quest, I didn't do that. And I really was trying to like, this is what I think an interviewer is supposed to be. And so I'm asking the questions I think an interviewer is supposed to ask. And then finally I was like, no, no, no. Let me just chase the things that I find fascinating. Now, how I learn is a very specific thing that I call learning in swarms. I'll often refer to it as reading in swarms, but because when I'm researching for an interview, it's often um, podcasts. So I'll say I'm learning in swarms. So I will learn about the guest and their specific life story or whatever. But also if they have a topic, I'm gonna go research the topic as well. So now as a synthesizing machine, I get all these ideas that they talk about. So recently I had a sleep expert on the show, Matthew Walker. Fascinating, fascinating interview. You wanna check it out. Now, part of the research for that wasn't just researching what he knows about sleep. It's all the other people that I've researched about sleep. It was also like he would talk about a specific topic around sleep. I wanna go figure out about that thing. And that becomes really powerful. So you take this idea and I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna sit down and like, you know, watch one interview or read one book and like really labor the point. I'm going to go, hey, I'm going to go through this at if it's a normal language speed, I'll go through it at 2.2 X speed. Um, if it's a book, usually I'm closer to three X speed, depending on the narrator. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that I won't understand. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I'm following that. I don't slow down. I keep going because I know I'm going to attack this in a swarm. So once I finish that, maybe I go into another interview. Maybe I go on to another book, whatever. And now as I read in the swarm that is this topic, I begin to figure out what the vernacular is, what the important topics are, who the players are in the space, who's really saying something insightful, who's not, because you don't want to overinvest in one book and spend all your time researching and taking notes. It's like, I'm going to read, you know, 10 books on the subject. I wouldn't read that many books for an interview um, just because limited time. But you get the idea. Like when I'm trying to take in a topic, I'm going to go as hard as I can, as many different interviews as I can, as many different books as I can, and get this topic from a whole bunch of different levels. And just naturally over time, there's sort of an osmosis effect around that topic where you just begin to understand what the main themes are, what the like, oh, maybe I didn't understand, um, you know, to take sleep. You know, maybe you don't understand the, the way that amyloid plaques are washed out of the brain at night, okay? Maybe in the beginning, you don't understand that the brain actually shrinks in the middle of the night and that there's, um, you know, this system for cleaning out the fluids in the brain. And so the first time you hear it, you're like, I have no idea what that is. I don't know what that means. I don't know anything about it. But by the third or fourth time you come across it, it's like, oh, cool. Okay, I'm really beginning to understand what this is. Um, that's hugely important. And then here's another part of... Um, why I'm so prepared for interviews. I'm deeply curious. So I spend, it averages. So obviously some days is way more, like on the weekends, some days is less. But on average, if you took uh, a week, a month, or even a year, it's gonna be the same average. 
two and a half hours a day, every day, seven days a week dedicated to learning. And so it's pretty shocking how many different topics you can touch on. I keep a list called to research. So here are the things that you know I want to research. Um, and so whenever I have a down moment, I've got you know a gaggle of YouTube videos that I can watch. I mean, there's you know the fact that you guys are are watching this video right now. I'm sure you already subscribed to the idea that YouTube is an unlimited treasure trove of knowledge. It is honestly, it's one of the most extraordinary things to come out of the internet. It is insane how much information you can learn for free on any topic you can imagine. There's somebody out there creating content around it. So. I have a, an endless list of things to research on YouTube. And then I just do it fiendishly from the second, from the second I wake up, I keep three pairs of headphones next to my bed so that if one is dead at any one time, I'm never in the position where I can't immediately put headphones on and start listening to something that I previously earmarked so that I'm ready to go. I never miss a beat. I brush my teeth while I'm reading or listening to a video, I make my food, I feed the dogs, I pee, everything that I do, I'm doing, not everything, everything that I'm doing by myself, uh, I do while I'm learning. If my body can be on autopilot, um, working out, I don't listen to music while I work out. When I'm working out, I am listening to a book, I'm listening to a YouTube video, I'm learning. So that framework that I call ABL, always be learning has served me extraordinarily well so that I'm synthesizing all of this data that when somebody mentions something that maybe I didn't realize they were into, but I've already researched that you know, at some other point in my past. And again, researched it in a swarm so that I've encountered that idea so many times from so many different angles that I can easily apply it to what that person is talking about. Um, that's how I think about it get all the information you can be endlessly curious and throw an ungodly amount of time into learning. And then it all just looks like magic. And speaking of magic, that is the power of thought. I can't think of anything that will more profoundly change your life than getting your thought process right and getting your mindset right, thinking about things in the right way, taking control of your thoughts. At the end of the day, it's the most important thing that you can do for yourself. It truly is magic. It's the magic of the mind. You see what you think about. You become what you repeat. You feel what you embody. So take conscious control of that process. And there is not a single element of your life that you can't improve. I promise you, there's not a single element of your life that can't be made better by taking control of what you think about that thing. There's an amazing Shakespeare quote. Oh, let this burn into your soul. Nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. If you think something is bad, then it is. If you think something is good, then it is. Tony Robbins has this great concept. He says, think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life. And now ask yourself, how was that actually the best thing that ever happened to me? And by changing the question that you ask, you change the mental and emotional result that you get without anything changing about that past event. 
All right. Don't fail to leverage the power of your own thoughts, guys. It determines the quality of your life. All right. And speaking of things that will determine the quality of your life, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.